Welcome to another episode of the Public Health Insight Podcast. In this episode, we delve into the latest news and trends shaping the way we think about public health and the world around us. My name is Gordon, your host for this episode, along with my co-hosts, LaShawn Benedict, and together we have a fantastic lineup of intriguing topics that are sure to get you thinking. First up, we'll be discussing the concept of food deserts and how they impact our health. Next, we'll be talking about Canada's new drinking guidelines and whether or not they're taking into account the social benefits of alcohol. Finally, we'll be addressing the concerns raised by the Surgeon General of the United States regarding social media and children. Is 13 really too young to join platforms like Facebook and Instagram? We'll explore the potential health risks associated with the social media use in young people. Let's go. A recent study examined whether food deserts exist in Western Sydney by mapping locations of outlets providing food, both healthy and unhealthy and local levels of disadvantage and health problems. The study found nearly two-thirds of suburbs had no food stores at all, and in those that did, only 16% of the stores were healthy food outlets. The research also showed a strong correlation between food deserts and areas of poor public health and socioeconomic disadvantage. Walk score ratings of the suburbs indicated how much a car is really needed for almost all errands, which means people without a car face real hurdles in accessing affordable, healthier food options. The study calls for community action to improve the situation. LaShawn, help us connect the dots here. Yeah, this was an interesting study done in Western Sydney, and the actual article showed a bunch of different map overlays. And in the first map, it really highlights in the region that they're looking at, more centrally, it shows that there is a high proportion of unhealthy food places in this region. Mm. And now if you overlay another layer on top of that, it seems in that same area where there's less healthier food options, they found that there's earlier death from cardiovascular diseases. And they found in the same region that the walkability score was much lower, which means that finding and actually walking to these different areas, it's much more troublesome, which required a car. And so in these same regions, there was a higher proportion of households that needed a car to access these healthier options. And then when you overlay another layer on top of that, we find that these are the same regions where they are more socially, economically disadvantaged. I think one of the interesting things from the article, and while it's focused specifically on a particular region in Australia, it's something that we can maybe look at from the lens of all the different regions in the world. But in general, what we're talking about here is the food deserts and factors like travel distances, are a factor, limited transport options. So there's a car, but also what about public transit that in those regions tend not to be accessible or reliable and therefore not a viable solution for moving around specifically to secure food. And then one of the pieces that is always something that's a bit of a revelation for me when we have a conversations about food deserts is a retailer's commercial decisions. So mm. why is there not any 
big chain grocery stores in a certain area, well, they make decisions based on what they project for profits, having an, an establishment in those regions. And in many cases, they deem it not to be viable and that perpetuates the problem as well. So solutions are needed to incentivize those retailers being in those regions, as well as subsidize potentially the purchasing of higher cost, healthier foods from those regions for people who can't afford it. Yeah, and what you're referring to really is the commercial determinants of health, Mm. where these private sectors affect the health of populations. And by that, you know, in these regions that there are less healthier options, what is the relative price difference between an apple Mm. versus its counterpart in like a candy or a chocolate bar, right? And we talked about this previously. Are you really making the healthier choice the easy choice? Mm. If you're going to have a can of pop, versus water mm-hmm. is the water going to be more expensive than the can of pop because if so i'd probably go for the can of pop right absolutely couldn't agree more that there's convenience stores and fast food restaurants that are more accessible than retail locations where healthier food can be purchased and that's a problem The Canadian Centre for Substance Use and Addiction recently issued revised recommendations for lower-risk alcohol consumption, stating that no amount of alcohol is safe. Individuals should drink no more than two standard drinks per week to minimize their risk for chronic diseases. However, many Canadians drink more than six standard drinks per week, which means that many people exceed these new recommendations. People often derive benefits from stigmatized activities such as drinking, which provides an opportunity to unwind and connect with others. The social benefits of alcohol use are important to the development of public health guidelines for alcohol consumption. Poor social health can be just as harmful as smoking, drinking, and exposure to poor air quality. So Gordon, this article talked a lot about the social benefits of alcohol use in comparison to these recommendations saying that you should only drink two standard drinks per week to minimize risk for chronic diseases. How do you kind of compare those two things? (laughs) This was a pretty hot topic in my professional circles, as well as what we anticipated from the general public. And I think for context, it's important to know how we got here. So previously, the low-risk drinking guidelines is that you could drink up to 15 standard drinks per week. So that's where we were coming from. And now it's uh, two standard drinks per week. Mm-hmm. So you could see a drop-off of 13 standard drinks per week of what it was previously. So you can see a drastic change. And you start to ask the questions, why are we talking about this? Why so low? What are the implications of that? And I think that's what this article is getting at as beyond the immediate physical benefits of drinking less, what contribution does alcohol make to our society? And this author in particular was getting at the fact that these newly revised guidelines neglect the other social benefits of alcohol, such as the social connectedness, allowing people to come out of their shell and in that way it can have some benefits so that's what this author is arguing and the other argument in the article as well is relative risk that's something that we often struggle to communicate in public health 
So the risk is significant when you exceed the lower risk drinking guidelines. But what is the absolute risk from doing that? Is it significant? And the article talks about the years of life loss potentially only being very minimal, like a year or so if you do exceed the drinking guidelines. So balancing the physical health benefits with the social and emotional health benefits is something that's very complicated line to walk. Yeah, it's it's very interesting when, you know, these governing bodies put out recommendations, especially ones that are different from pre-existing ones. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, what this article is getting at is there are considerations that have to be made as, you know, people often do engage in risky behaviors across a life course. Mm, now, right. are you going to stop a given behavior that may have potential benefits to you in other aspects of life? And are you willing to endure that potential risk? That's the real question. Yeah, at the end of the day, LaShawn, this is the way I see it. I think it's good. I think it's an overall good thing that we're talking about it in this way because there's two things that come to mind. Sure, there might be social benefits of alcohol, but I think that stems from the bigger problem of alcohol being normalized as a tool for social interactions. That's problematic in of itself. Mm -hmm. The other benefit of this is that having a number, an idea in your head will better enable people who are lower risk drinkers. So this is not meant for people with chronic alcohol issues. And that's something that's handled on a day-to-day with clinical health professionals. And they work together to get it down from where it is. You know, we talk about harm reduction. This is for people who perhaps engage in social drinking or do not have a drinking problem to give them a sense for when it might become problematic and when you might need to seek professional help. We need to make sure we're talking about it from the right perspective and that it's not for everybody. U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy believes that 13 is too young for children to be on social media platforms as they are still developing their identity. He highlighted that the often distorted environment of social media can do a disservice to many children, affecting their self-worth and relationships. Medical professionals have expressed concerns about the growing number of teenagers on social media and the harm such platforms can cause to adolescents. Recent research has shown that habitually checking social media can alter the brain chemistry of adolescents and cause addiction. LaShawn, what do you think about this? A lot of youth these days have easier access to the internet, to multiple social media platforms, and quite frankly, at earlier ages than 13 in many cases. Mm. So it is shown that the addictive properties of social media can have influences on the development of children, their brain development. And so these are problematic things that are important to address, right? But we also have to think about the social context of joining social media as a platform for connection. Back when I was younger, back in the old days, as they say, Mm. (laughs) I probably set up a Facebook account when I was nine or 10. So it was very, very long ago. And I was very, very young relative to this 13 year mark. And the reason that it was created was to just feel included with my friends. Mm. Everyone started creating social media accounts on Facebook, sharing their profile pictures, nudging people, 
posting on their walls. And it was fun. It was a great way to feel connected and included amongst my friends. Now, obviously, this is juxtaposed to these health consequences that I was talking about. It's going to be very, very difficult to regulate when an account can be created. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a way where we can hold these social media companies accountable and make sure that they can create an overall healthier experience for children. And how does that look? Maybe making things less addicting on social media. Maybe limiting some of the features on social media. I think we could all agree that checking phones every 10 seconds to see if you get new messages, new notifications is unhealthy, even for us as adults. So imagine what that does for a youth and a younger mind. Mm -hmm. I'm not too optimistic about this simply because of the fact that Social media companies are a profit-driven industry mm-hmm. and there is no benefit to making their platform less addictive to mm-hmm. the younger population. They get nothing out of it financially. People so will just I, hop onto the next platform. Right. So I worry that it's an idealistic solution, but it's not a realistic solution. The cat is out of the bag, so to speak. We've opened Pandora's box. Not sure we can put everything back and pretend like social media didn't exist. We have to work within the current realities. Age verification is also something that's going to be difficult, right? That you'd require, need some identification Anyone to be can uploaded. Lie about your age, you know? Right, you lie about your age. But even, and if you're going to do it properly, like, you know, we know misinformation and hate speech and on social media, they're talking about accounts being linked to real people and how do we do that that's essentially what would need to happen for this too to Mm -hmm. verify age in the best way possible i'm also not optimistic about that happening what i will say is that there's space here to educate youth about what social media is and maybe let them know just like anything else substances that they maybe have access to other tools that they may have access to that can cause more harm than good. There's a need for us as adults, educators, society to educate our youth about the harms of social media so that they can be aware of how it might be realistically impacting their life, at least as a sense of awareness. And then obviously we empower them to take action from there. Parents are a good conduit for this too, right? So parents can to some degree, depending on the age of their child, influence when they're able to access certain tools. And that's something that may be a higher yield approach than regulating the social media companies themselves. Is there some benefit to having these social media platforms in to some degree? Or is it just, no, not until a certain age? Social media can be harmful from a social context. Got it. It can also be harmful from a physical health context too when we talk mm-hmm. about Um, behavioral modeling and trying to emulate what they think is in status quo. For example, cigarettes, vaping, alcohol commercials, and then that can also, getting that from social media can filter into the life of youth as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even sure we're at the point where we can say to Instagram, hey, we need you to block all images where someone's smoking a cigarette. It's really never going to happen, right? So Mm -hmm. to then go from that to having policies of age verification that have any teeth i'm not optimistic at all that we'll get there sorry maybe that's too pessimistic but those are my thoughts on this 
on a more positive note, mm. there is research that's being done mm. to further give us clues and hints as to where this is going to lead in terms of the long-term effects of using social media. Absolutely. In this episode, we discussed the concept of food deserts and how they can impact health. We talked about Canada's low-risk drinking guidelines and the narrative around what that means for social interactions and the social context. And lastly, about social media platforms being accessible to 13-year-olds and if that is too low of an age limit that we should have for those platforms given the potential harms that it could cause. All the links to the articles that we discussed in this episode are available in the description. Feel free to also let us know your thoughts about these articles on social media. And until then, we will see you in the next episode. Goodbye. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you in the next one.